Hello and welcome to another of my dental business transaction podcasts. And today I have huge pleasure in inviting Claire Emery of Harrison Clark Rickabit or HCR. And they are a dental specialist law firm and we work very closely with Claire and her team. So it's great to talk to you today, Claire. Welcome. Thanks, Lily. It's really nice to be talking to you too. So for the purpose of anyone that's perhaps listening and, and doesn't know what you do and where you're based, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Okay, so um, as you said, I'm at HCR. I'm a partner in the corporate team there, which means that I specialise in buying and selling businesses. And I'm also the head of the dental team and all of the businesses that I buy or sell are dental practices. So that's my particular area. The firm's quite um, a large firm, both in terms of its size, but also in terms of the work areas that it carries out. And so that means that across our nine, soon to be 11 offices, we have specialists in all sorts of areas that can support our dental clients as part of the transaction process. Well, I mean, I can vouch for the fact that you have a great team and you're well spread because uh, obviously there's so many facets to a dental practice transaction. And that's one of the things that, that we benefit from your expertise and obviously you know we're very proud and pleased to have you on our panel of recommended dental experts um, so obviously we do a lot of transactions with you and we sometimes think we've seen it all and heard it all and of course life's not like that something always comes up to surprise us and there's lots of challenges but the great thing about you and your team at HCR is you have such a vast wealth of experience in navigating the many issues that can arise in the purchase or sale of a dental transaction and so it's always great to work with you all. Um, before we go more into the challenges etc of, of what you do and what we both face in our working life, um, I have read a press release recently that um, you're merging with Hewitsons. What can you yes. tell me about that? Well, um, the merger is due to take place at the end of this month. Uh, we are very excited about it. Um, Hewitsons are a really well-established firm with a great reputation in the southeast. Um, they're based in Cambridge and London, where we also already have offices. So there's some fantastic synergy there. And also, excitingly, they have offices in Northampton and Milton Keynes which will be new locations um, from our perspective. So it's hopefully, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great opportunity, I think, for both firms. The people there have very much the same ethos as HCR. And so we see this as being an opportunity for both firms to build on their personal strengths and personal reputations that they've been growing over many, many years. That's good to hear because obviously where we are based in the Midlands, you know, we, 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 the good thing about being in the Midlands is we can get pretty much anywhere within two and a half hours by whatever means. But um, will the dental healthcare team be in these offices that you've just mentioned or are you still focusing on the offices that you currently have? What's the plans there for growth? I think primarily at the moment we're still planning to be based out of the sort of Worcester and West Midlands offices, although obviously as... Um, the firms progress together it may be that that gives rise to new opportunities but the dental team will remain um, at least the time being as it always has historically based in the Worcester office. That's cool. How many of you are now in the healthcare team because I know that you've been growing haven't you? Not you personally. We have. But <laughs> well there's been lockdown Lily so. Yeah, I know yeah. <laughs> Um, banana no. bread that people go on about that Absolutely they bake. That. I never did because I worked throughout it. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> the banana bread and the gin, Lily. But yeah. um, 
No, so we have, within the dental team, there are now six of us in the corporate team. Um, myself, Mandeep and Natasha, who are the qualified staff, and then we're supported by Matthew, Manyara and Amira, who are our paralegals. Um, we have eight uh, specialist property lawyers. Um, you may have come across Kamal, who is our specialist regulatory lawyer and chief problem solver. Any issues with the NHS or CQC and he's there and also um, our specialist employment lawyers. But actually, if you look at the healthcare team as a whole, um, there are in excess of 25 solicitors, primarily based out of the Worcester office, um, all dealing with various healthcare providers, including dentists, as you know, but also vets, GPs, pharmacies, and pretty well the breadth of the sector, really. That's cool. And of course, that is your strength, because as I touched upon earlier, the fact is that if a drama comes up, if there's an issue and somebody needs a solution, you have someone that you can literally call upon very swiftly. And that's huge benefit. And, and it's worth saying, reminding people that you don't have to have your solicitor in your hometown. You know, it doesn't matter where you are because all meetings are pretty much done over the telephone and over Zoom or Teams or what have you. So don't be thinking that you have to appoint a lawyer that's somewhere within half an hour's drive from you. That's a misnomer. Um, well, I'm pleased to hear you're growing. That's very exciting. We're growing too. Um, yes, and it's all good, isn't it? it? It's great to come through all this and have light at the end of the tunnel and it not be a train coming towards you with your name on it. So that's good. <laughs> that's absolutely right. I think it does feel, I think for all of us, doesn't it, as if we, particularly the early part of the pandemic last year, had to put ourselves on pause for a bit just to see what was going to happen when we came out of it. But I think it's really heartening across the sector that everybody is, you know, been able to reset and pick up perhaps where they'd hoped to be 12 months previously. Yeah, and you're fully busy. You're fully engaged, obviously, with, with the industry. I know we are busy. Um, I don't think things are quite back to normal, but you're finding that uh, you're getting a lot of interest in people still buying and selling? Absolutely. And I think that the, the lockdown has been interesting um, in terms of what it's meant for associates. I think there's been a real appetite for associate buyers coming out of the pandemic, just wanting to sort of buy that sense of job security that perhaps they didn't have um, this time last year. I agree. We've certainly seen that a lot, you know, and they've taken that leap of faith that it's taken this awful last year, really, for people to have that courage to do that. And so we are seeing uh, right across the scale uh, of people looking to buy their first practice, people looking to exit perhaps a bit earlier. So that's all good. Um, now, I know from uh, Abby Greenhoff, my managing director, um, that you hosted the Langbusson Investment in Healthcare event uh, in the last week. Tell me about that and how did you get involved and, and what was it all about? Um, it was a really interesting opportunity for us across the breadth of the healthcare team. I hosted a dentistry panel and was fortunate to be joined by a, a number of experts in the sector, including um, Shailene Mayra, for example, who you will know as the CEO of Roderick's. It was really nice to have a roundtable chat with those people and to talk about how the pandemic had affected their view to investment, what they thought was still a good investment in the market going forward, and also just to sort of have a look at what people thought might be happening over the next 12 months or so, which is quite bold given that um, yeah. the past 12 months has been nothing if not unpredictable. That's very true. So did you come away from that? I mean, I know Abby was, was, was online as well. Um, 
contributing in whatever way she did. But did you come away from this with any great surprises, any great learnings, or was it all just a, a reinforcement of what you already know? I think what was interesting was the consistency across the piece that it did feel at times last year that everything was quite fragmented and um, perhaps sort of quite difficult to see how things were going to go forward. But talking to the people that were on the panel and you know other people that were contributing, it seems very much that actually confidence is good. The EBITDA levels for practices that are looking to sell and where people are looking to buy, if it's a good practice in a good area with a good patient base, that is still holding very strong. And it, it feels as if everybody still feels very positive and very optimistic about the future of the dental sector, both from the point of view of investors who are looking to sort of buy and build groups, but also for those people who are working within it, looking to buy their first practice. There does seem to be a real sort of sense of confidence across the piece at the moment. Now that's good. It's good to hear that from you. We are definitely seeing that as well, obviously. Um, our sister company, Lilyhead Finance, we have never been busier with people reaching out for uh, advice, for getting funding, starting the journey. Some people are just very much just doing their reconnaissance. But um, I think that I'm so relieved, obviously, that the industry has bounced back. And, and in fact, many practices are doing better than they ever did before. Um, the, the sustainability of that one, that's a long word to say, I'm get your teeth. The sustainability of that one, obviously, time will tell whether it's just a bit of a, a, a peak in, in returning to work. But so far, the signs are that, um, that it's looking very strong for the industry as a whole. So that's good news. Um, I think, I was going to say, I think as with everything, once you can't have something, once you can't go to the dentist, um, people suddenly absolutely find the value in it. And of course, much as we're doing now, we're all spending a lot of time on screen looking at ourselves in a way that we didn't before. And um, Checking out looking our at our teeth. <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking at my teeth now thinking, yeah, you know, may maybe I could do a little bit of yeah. orthodontic work, a bit of cosmetic right. work. Yeah. Um, but we don't normally see ourselves when we're speaking, do we? So no, it's, you're right. It's, it's, it's more of an awareness, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, that's good. Now, let's talk about the challenges, because obviously, you know, more than anybody, the challenges we face in our in our working life here as brokers, navigating the sale through to completion, not only the normal delays uh, and the issues, but also the unforeseen things. So we'll talk about the what are the biggest challenges, Claire, that you face so give us the top three, perhaps, of the, of the biggest challenges that you face on a sort of weekly basis with your team in a sale transaction. I think the biggest challenges that there have been perhaps over, let's say, the last six months or so, um, because they always change, as you know, Lily, what today's challenges um, will not be tomorrow's challenges and vice versa. I think third party landlords are a perennial challenge. Um, not for any reason other than they have less interest in your track in your practice sale going through than you do as a seller or the buyer does or your solicitors or brokers because after all they all they're doing usually is swapping one tenant that they know already for a new one that they don't know so it's not that they are looking to be particularly difficult but encouraging them to do things within the time frame that you're looking for can be difficult the CQC have been very unpredictable this year. Again, you will know this um, through your transaction teams, but there have been periods of time when it's felt as though the CQC are on a go slow because they are prioritising COVID applications. For example, when the vaccination centres were getting up and running at the start of this year, 
it felt as if things were somewhat on hold. We do know that they've now put more resource into that now and so some of the applications are going through incredibly quickly but I suppose that lack of predictability as to how long the CQC will take is a challenge. And then of course and not unreasonably the banks are you know they have their own demands and you will know this again through Lily Head Finance but the banks have their own challenges demands require a bit more information at the moment to get themselves comfortable with what they're buying and what that looks like at the moment what it looks like since its last accounts we've had a few things where valuations uh, not any of your practices I don't think but we've had a few instances where valuations and bank valuations has been a discrepancy so all of those things make things slower and I think because in our sector we are managing so many moving parts, not only the bank and third party landlords but also the NHS and the CQC, trying to get those four things lined up and happening all at the same time does require um, some, you know, some proper feats of organisation on behalf of all the lawyers and the agents and the banks and everybody else that's involved with the process and I think that's the difficulty. I agree. It's like that old saying, isn't it? It takes skill, determination and a sound knowledge of the game. Absolutely that. And, and in simple terms, it's like running into a circus ring and all the plates are on the poles and you run along and spin them and then one goes wobbling at the end and you've got to keep them all going. And, you know, that leads into the quest. Well, it, it's, a, it's a no brainer. You must use a dental specialist solicitor to help you through a deal. It's an absolute... Uh, it's a huge mistake to employ somebody that's perhaps cheap, local, says they'll have a go at it. It should be easy. We know the risks around that. Um, but obviously using a dental specialist firm that can navigate you and advise you and have experience of how to avoid the deal faltering um, is, you know, that's the number one priority for us is to make sure that our clients get the best choice. And communication is absolutely critical. And again, that's why, you know, one of the reasons we like working with you very much is because in, uh, being able to communicate and flag up any issues is so important. What if you were thinking of buying or selling a dental practice? So let's talk about a buyer. What would be the top tips that you'd give them to look out for? I think that you want to look at the finances because lots of things you can fix and they're short-term issues. If the practice is a little bit shabby and needs a lick of paint or you know that at some point you're going to want to replace equipment or the like, those are issues when you're starting out because they're all expenses. But I think probably the bigger issue is what is the underlying business? Where do the profits come from? And what will it look like when you take that business over? Because you know you may buy a business that at the moment is being run by associates but you're planning to go in as you know an owner who works at the practice it may be that you're actually buying from an owner who works at the practice and you're planning to be hands-off and have it run by associates but I think if the underlying value of the business is there the patient base the um, you know the the staff the loyal staff are always important it's it's all about the people um, because that translates into the numbers if the value of the business is there, then other things that you can fix. If the business value isn't there, it's harder. It's going to be harder to get that up and running, I think. No, you're right. You're on rocky ground without dealing with the other issues that can be around leases, renegotiation of leases, property and all the usual things that, that you manage and, and help people with. And if you're looking to sell your dental practice, what advice would you give to a seller that's perhaps right at the very beginning of the journey? They're not ready yet to go to the market. 
they're hopefully doing their reconnaissance, they're getting evaluation, all the things that we advise. But from a solicitor's point of view, what are the things that they should do early doors to make sure that when they're ready, this kind of stuff can not only save time, but they're aware of what they have? What are the sort of key learnings that you can uh, take from that and, and pass on? I think it's all about organisation. I think um, many, many transactions will get held up because people will think that they've got paperwork and then when they come to look for the paperwork, they haven't got the paperwork. And there isn't that trail. Lots of people can't find their NHS contracts and that's not unusual, but you can get another copy. And it's a lot easier to get a copy 12 months before you need it than be trying to deal with that when you are in the thick of people trying to arrange valuations, trying to send somebody around to see the practice, all of those other things that are going on when you're in the thick of a deal. Look at your contracts of employment. Do all your staff have contracts of employment? Do all your associates have contracts? You'd be surprised, or perhaps you wouldn't, Lily, but people might be surprised yeah. by how often um, <laughs> you start to go into the process. And it's a gentleman's handshake. That's there. what I hear a lot. Absolutely. It was done on a gentleman's handshake. And you know what, that's absolutely fine and that works, but it won't work for a buyer. So again, just take that time, sort through your paperwork. If you've got any long-term contracts, think about if you want to renew them or not. Do you need, if you're planning to sell next year, is there any point in entering into a three-year agreement to service your autoclaves? Probably not, to be honest with you, because the buyer might not want it. So it's, it's thinking a long time out. Talk to people. I, I know in common with probably a lot of the other dental solicitors that you work with, we're really happy to talk to people and say, these are the sorts of things you should be thinking about before you get going. You don't need to use us in a year's time, but do yourself a favour and think about all of these things now so that you don't have to do it when you're in um, the thick of a deal. Absolutely. And also, you know, getting the, the premises in full good repair is a, is a critical one because, you know, over the years we've had all kinds of dramas with people going in to do a survey and, oh, guess what? The roof is, needs 25000 spending on it. And these are the kind of things you can't stick your head in the sand and ignore. You've got to address them, get them sorted. Otherwise, these will critically delay a deal, won't they? And as we both know, when the wheels start coming off, that's when the problem starts and you get transaction fatigue, you get a little bit of ill will coming in niggling and it can escalate. So you've got to be prepared and be ready to present yourself, haven't you, and your business in the very best shape. It's like selling your house. You know, Absolutely. don't be surprised if someone pulls back on paying you the true market worth if you haven't done all the things that need to be done. Um, and I think actually, Lily, if you think about it, from the buyer's point of view, once they start to see problems and see those problems growing, they then start to doubt all of the other information that you've given them. Absolutely. So the reality is, the better the information you give them, the more detailed, the less problems there are with it. Again, it's human nature. They will feel better about your practice. Yeah. And that will make it much less likely that you'll be looking at somebody trying to renegotiate terms or renegotiate the price because they like it, they want it, and they haven't been put off. I agree. Bye. Full disclosure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you've got to, be, I've got to be honest, transparent, and you've got to be prompt with providing information. That's good. Um, I'm almost frightened to ask you this question, but I know the answer, sort of. Uh, deal transactions, the durations. You know, somebody asked me yesterday on a call, uh, are they getting any quicker? I, <laughs> What's your I'd response like to, to that? Some of them are you can have some transactions which are going incredibly quickly. Um, I think that we are actually talking to one of your team at the moment, Lily, about a transaction that they would like to get done in six weeks and I think it's doable. Hurrah. Um, because of the way, I know, because of the way that it's structured. But equally, 
Again, if your finances aren't in order, if you can't provide that management information, it can take ages. And so, you know, you really are looking at six to eight months rather than four to six months to get something done because actually those ducks haven't been gotten in a row beforehand. Yeah, that's right. And to quote uh, Helen on my team, the wonderful Helen, she said to a client, you need to get all your ducks in a row swimming, she said. And at the moment, they're all sitting on the bank looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> and she's I think she's that's, absolutely right. She's absolutely yeah. right. You know, you absolutely have. And we keep banging that drum, preparation, you know, time spent in reconnaissance. But it really is. And, and, and just to reiterate, as you've just said, people can phone you and have a chat with you. No, you know, a confidential discussion in that pre-planning stage or whether they're poised and ready to go. Um, do you send people all the due diligence or a very good outline at the early stage so they can get an idea of what they need to get together, the kind of documentation that's going to be an absolute requirement and what's a nice to have but not an essential? Yes, we can do that. I think one of the problems that we have, and I think it's uh, probably a reputational issue for solicitors in general, is that people are pretty scared to pick the phone up to us because they think we sit there with a stopwatch on our desk and we want to record every minute that we speak to them. And actually we don't. We really like um, talk, just talking to people and having an opportunity to speak to them. And we're very happy to be quite open and say, you know, this may not be the exact questionnaire that you'd get from a buyer, but this is a good approximation of what you can expect. It's always longer than people think it's going to be, and it's always more detailed than people think it's going to be. And so I think if you understand what's required of you, you can start that preparation 12 months out. You know, if you've only got your documents in hard copy, scan them in, save them on your computer. It's really easy then to yeah. send them to the buyer in a Dropbox and That's you right. save well, yourself all... that time at the time. They're all easy wins, aren't they? And it can save a huge amount of time, as we know. It can, it can be the difference between a deal concluding in five months as opposed to eight months, because all you need is some holidays to be factored in and some inevitable delays with funding, CQC, what have you. And suddenly a deal that should have completed in, say, six months timeline, we're still all talking to each other nine, ten months down the line. Um, and drip feeding information as well. We know that's an absolute no-no, isn't it, in our world? You need to get that information ready and get that across to you so you can get on with your job. Um, Absolutely. No and you're right about deal fatigue. Nobody, it's a bit like um, a long engagement, you know, there's something to be said for that sort of like whirlwind of getting your memorandum of sale signed up, which I always, always compare to putting a ring on the finger. Um, but equally, if the deal takes so long, you'll be arguing metaphorically about who's putting the bins out by the time you actually get married yeah, and completed. Yeah, very true. So. No, it's very true. Well, look, Claire, that's, that's really, really interesting. How can people get hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Um, what is the best way for people to talk to you? The easiest way to find me, if you have a look at um, Google, stick my name into Google onto HCR, you can come onto my landing page, which has got... Um, the means of contacting me by email or mobile phone. I'm also on LinkedIn. So again, you can find me on LinkedIn, although I do need to update my photograph because um, I had brown hair when I put the photograph on LinkedIn and now I'm blonde. But you can find me that way as well. Claire, it's as always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I can't wait to meet you in person. Um, hopefully in the autumn that will become possible with various commitments on both sides. Um, I do hope so, Lily. And I wish you a good rest of the week and I look forward to catching up with you again, perhaps uh, later on in the autumn when we can see how the market is and generally how things are going with the merger with Hewitsons. I wish you all the very best of luck with the team. I think it's a fantastic thing to, uh, to be announcing and onwards and upwards, as they say.
Yeah, it's very exciting times, both for the dental team and also for HCR more widely, so thank you. That's a pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Lily. Cheers then. Bye-bye.